0: They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear?
1: Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
2: Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Tomorrow is opening day. This morning. Didn't have a great hunt. Deer didn't move
0: like usual. We just got set up around this bedding thicket. Oh, saving this spot for the rut. It's nice.
3: Me,
2: Boom! It's a one seventy. That was money. I think it's down. right up better than a few ten yards. Woo!
1: Whitetail Legacy Podcast, bringing you back to the hunt and leaving a legacy. Baller rut.
2: Whitetail Legacy Podcast coming at you, kicking it back old school. As you guys heard, uh, we have an intro, a badass intro if I may say myself. Homie, put in work on that. Um, Props to him. Uh, Everybody out there in podcast land, golf claps for homie, please. (laughs) Silent pause for that all right moving on thank you thank tonight's you. episode or tonight i mean yeah we recorded it tonight but <laughs> this week's episode craig meyer man just just a just a all-out good hunter knowledgeable yeah. respectful learn a lot from him um i'm glad i got his text info because uh I think I could get a lot more details out of him. Right.
1: He, you can tell he's put in a lot of time researching yeah. and, and reading and notes, learning, takes, watching videos.
2: Yeah. Takes a lot of notes. Uh, really big about learning how deer use timber. Uh, and
1: Just their normal behavior. Just
2: their normal behavior and not just hunting the rut, trying to kill them before the rut. So, right. Um, really big on picking a target buck and chasing that buck until the end.
1: Well, and one thing nice about that is, you know, he can go scout or um you know have somebody scout and then still be on their summer pattern like you know he talks about and have that relative fresh information and yeah make i think a
2: plan i think hunting somewhere where the season opened up you know at first of september or the september 15th Dude, would be, i think it'd be huge would be a huge benefit uh i know north dakota super early did
1: you just see i saw it today the uh Tennessee or Kentucky passed a three-day archery season in August. In August? Yeah. Did you see that?
2: I did not see that. Oh yeah, that's
1: news to me. Three-day archery in August. Wow, that's insane.
2: Man, that's that's cool. Yeah. Wow. Late, like late August or something. Or?
1: I didn't see the date. I just know it's August. I'm yeah. assuming. Like, Man,
2: they they they'd had to be like way like if you have beans, you'd be freaking set. Oh yeah. You know, this big bucks eating those beans, <laughs> it'd, it'd be over. Wouldn't care, no care. Yeah. We can't say thank you enough to Craig for coming on, man. It was it was really cool for him to come on and tell the story of Little John. It's a story of, uh, like a lot of us can relate to, you miss on your target buck. You you lose a giant buck or you hit a buck, marginal, and you lose them. And I think anybody that's been hunting long enough has had that situation where they've either missed or shot a buck and lost him it's just part of bow hunting everybody goes through that and uh for him to be proud and share that story to motivate other hunters just to show that hey you know i did it you know so everybody does it you know
1: and you know he said you know he did everything right he beat that deer at its game and he did everything right except the last part
2: But he said that it still felt like a win because he outsmarted that deer. Yeah,
1: I would have counted it as a win. I'd, I'd have done the same thing he did. You know, I would have released the film because, I mean, it's a really good film. It's a badass hunt, and I would have sent it.
2: Yeah, when the apple falls out of the deer's mouth after the first shot and it's <laughs> running off, right. I was like, wow, that is awesome, you know? drill hanging out. Yeah. But we're going we're gonna to get right into the people that make this podcast possible. We're going to start off with Ingram. I released a picture of of a buck that he just finished on a tree and I almost grabbed my bow and shot my own (laughs) (laughs) he's doing awesome work up there we we love to joke about it but that guy uh we got big things in work he is no
1: joke he is yeah we got big things
2: in work for us um as of right now and we shouted him to kind of be part of it and it, it's going to take time out of his personal life to do it, yeah. you know, and he was hands down like, Nope, oh, it's good for, it's for a good cause. And that's all he said. You know, there's no questions asked. And that's just the kind of person he is. Like I said, you got, you got a badass tax nurse and a best friend to anybody in in one shop. So this year coming up, man, do not all of our local listeners, even if you aren't local, if you're traveling to Illinois, he's had that multiple times where someone has traveled to Illinois and dropped a buck off right. and said, Hey, I'm coming back here next year to hunt. I'll pick it up then. Yep. So do not forget about Ingram, man. He is he he's the the best quality, cheapest price around. Yeah, I mean, how do you beat that? It's just it's suited for guys like me and you who have kids or, or guys that, you know, are lucky enough to shoot, you know, a buck, <coughs> you know, like the last three years I've shot a buck and mounted it. I mean, that gets costly, dude. I mean oh, you yeah. start adding it up. I mean, my wife's like, How many of these you're gonna have at every buck I shoot over one forty for the rest of my life? you know that's what i told her (laughs) so that's just how it is i just like deer mounts you know and and i'm so glad that we partnered with chris because the guy's the guy's doing awesome work i mean
1: yeah he's not gonna he needs recognized for what he's doing because here i mean he's there now but just like us podcasting you know we're getting better as we go he's getting better as he goes and i can't wait to see where he ends up in five years because I, I can't even i can't even right now i can't even imagine what it's going to be in five years i, I know we're to break
2: out the fish yeah <laughs> that was that was the beer man cameraman's just ready for him to mount his fish he's he's, he's ready. is his
1: mic on is his mic on yeah what, is your oh, mic yeah, on? yeah i was talking, saying, talking to that, is that him, right i don't
2: know Is it on? yeah <laughs> it's on he's trying to talk into my mic this guy <laughs> no,
0: i thought I'm he was gonna just kiss you to start mounting fish so i get that four pound crappie on
2: yeah. the wall heck yes somebody
1: mount that thing so no, i can stop here yeah
2: come on it's like living the football glory years over <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> here i caught
1: one fish
2: oh i just unplugging stuff from the computer i don't even know what it was don't my worry, bad, that, because you that, do that over here and i got questioned. that about one it. crappie is like your guys 200 inch buck
1: <laughs> all right
2: all right well we're gonna get right into ecw calls man the guy's rocking it we're about to pick up our grunt tubes i'm freaking stoked the guy nailed the logo on there. I mean, yes, whatever he has that is engraving those, is he's got it down pat. It's got to be some computer laser etched thing. It's got to be some next-level stuff because that is awesome.
1: And he's got some news coming his way he don't even know yet. Yeah, I know. I'm
2: excited for him to know. And uh, just our big thing like here, we share people. We share hunt teams. We share products. We share, you know, uh just people that are putting stories out and we like our we are passionate we like to promote people man because it's cool to get people's stories out and this is our outlet to do it shout out to the listeners 1200 listens last week you guys are blowing us away man i mean that's that's insane to us so that's 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 what our uh what our our rss feed uh, yeah rss feed is showing on our on our are we should we shout out that we're
1: gonna switch on this or should we just let it? Um I would I would I would wait a couple more episodes. Okay. Alright. I want to be sure I got time and get it figured yeah. out. Yeah. All right.
2: All right. Well there might be a switch to where we're formatting this, <laughs> but we're not gonna shout out where yet. We're just we wanna get to a more dedicated podcast host. But
1: hey man, do you want to shout this out now or keep it <laughs> later? <laughs> no, no, let's do sure. it later. I didn't shout out the name,
2: so but alright, we're gonna we got we got we got saving the best for last. The Veteran Broadhead VIP Innovative Products. Managing straight-line aero travel. Yep.
1: Automatic Broadhead.
2: Yep. Only Broadhead on the market that has power to release its own blades. We just blew your guys' mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man, they just had some huge news uh, to them. They just sent 10,000 packs to Walmart, guys. So check your local Walmart for these if you don't want to check them out online. When you go to buy Broadheads, I know walmart is where a lot of people shop if they don't shop if they don't have a local bow shop in their area um i know uh i know our redneck brothers down in mississippi be be shopping at walmart getting those getting those broadheads shout out to justin there <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean yeah and if they're not in your walmart best thing about it is walmart has free shipping to your store so you can get those broadheads shipped to your store for for free now you ain't got to pay shipping so go check them out um like like on our next episode, broadheads are taboo topic, and uh, we're pounding you guys with this product because it's what we believe in. We've had super good success, and uh, we're gonna get into our VIP veteran broadhead shout out right here.
1: Yeah, before we get into that, I want to um, get everybody straightened out. When we started this podcast, we we weren't doing the the total thing that we're doing now shouting out veterans you know we're shouting out people who are getting active with us and stuff and um i went back this week and listened to the episodes and did every vip shout out to get them straightened out and recognize the people that we have shouted out for our one through 50 episode to win a pack of veteran broadheads so i've got all that straightened out on my phone and i'm waiting to release it on our pin post on facebook until My phone lets me comment on our page as myself instead of Whitetail Legacy. So I can tag everybody and let them know what their number is going to be when we do the random draw. So getting that out of the way, our VIP shout out this week is Caleb Wilkerson. He was in the Army Reserves, the 428th Trans Company, and he served eight proud years as an 88 Mike. So Caleb, uh, thank you for everything you did. And are still doing, because I know you're doing the the Weekend Warrior thing now, man, so we appreciate that. And uh, we can't thank you enough here from Whitetail Legacy.
2: Yes, thank you, man. We appreciate your service. Even the Weekend Warrior service now, we appreciate that, too, that everything counts in my book, so... Can't thank you enough. We wanted to add a little special shout-out on this uh, episode to uh, law enforcement. We, we know... Craig Meyer is law enforcement, and uh, we we do shout out the military every day, but I think it's uh, important to shout out uh, law enforcement and uh, firefighters and paramedics. My brother-in-law is a paramedic. Um, That's some people that don't get a lot of praise, and I thought that with having Craig on, this was a perfect opportunity to thank everybody out there that does do this line of work. Um, I know it's super dangerous. And you are helping us out. Uh, I was a volunteer fire for firefighter for a while. People say, you know, they don't really know uh, about firefighters or paramedics until they need one or police officers until they need one. Then, then they love them. So, uh, Craig, uh, a big shout out to you. Uh, thank you for what you do. And uh, be safe out there, brother. All right. And we're going to get right into this episode, guys. We're going to try to focus on uh, getting some whitetail knowledge and stories out there for you. This is kind of the dog days of summer where it gets hot. You're not really thinking about whitetails, but hopefully this gets you motivated to go put in those last plots, mow those plots, hang those stands, get those trail cameras out, and that's our that's our main goal for this episode, just get a little bit of motivation behind you to keep thinking about those whitetails and keep letting them drive you crazy. All right, enjoy, guys. All right, guys, we got Craig on. Craig, how are you doing tonight?
3: Hey, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm doing great, thank you.
2: Thanks for coming on, dude. We appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on here and and teach us, Illinois boys, about about some whitetails, man. We're excited. So hey,
3: listen, you know, all of that talk about talking about homie and whitetails, you know, that's what it's all about.
2: Yeah, we got homie in studio, Volk, of, of course.
1: Man, I'm ready to get it going.
2: Yeah, no, I'm ready to learn. This is gonna be one of those I listen to a couple times. I've already. It's gonna know,
1: be a little different too. Like uh, the main the main deal of this one here is just gonna be about learning. And, Telling what you, the can story and what you can do better
2: next you can do better if you have the same situation and what's cool is your story i I think ninety percent of hunters can relate to your the story you're about to tell you know where you I, miss yeah. a deer you know and and the situation that follows after that. so with that said, just go ahead and kick kick off with with the the story. What was the buck's for name? I'm sure. sorry. Uh, little John. Little John, yeah. Little, John, off the story of yeah. little John, yeah. <laughs> it, it, let me tell <laughs> you right now. Little John. It's not so, little. <laughs>
1: you
3: no, know, he's, he's not. Well, that's why we call him that. You know, my, my wife, Julia, who, you know, she's super supportive of my hunt, and she hunts with me a ton, and uh, she was very vested in this year as well, and, and she had come up with that name, you know, for that reason, because he was so big, you know, and uh, we named him Little John because it was a sarcastic name, but... So, before I jump into the story, just just like you said, we learned so much and, and we learn so much more from mistakes. You know, anytime we make a mistake, you know, I feel like we come away from that learning something. You know, you won't do that mistake again, but you do. You learn way more from mistakes than you do success. Success looks a lot better on the wall and in pictures. But, you know, like I said, it's not as much what you learn from it as you do a bit. So so we'll go into the story a little, John. So I know that, uh, you know, really the reason I'm here today is because I had put the video out documenting this just, you know, focused on this buff named Little John, alright, so the story, you know, starts about I guess about, you know, two or three years ago you know, in the state of New Jersey yeah, you know, a very big surprise, you know uh, we do have some good here in New Jersey you know, I, uh, I had a lease for the last, you know, uh, 20 years with my father, um it was it's 140 acres in the, you know central part of the state, real good area and uh, we really managed it, you know we were really taking only taking good buffs and so I guess three years ago, I got pictures of of a a really you know good up and comer. He was a he was a main nine point. He had a split brow and he had a kicker off his backside, and and we didn't see him much. You know, we really didn't encounter him, but you know, we're, we had gotten some pictures of him, and I said, you know, if that deer makes it, you know, he could be, be something, you know. Well, I and this deer was only maybe 120 inches at that time, all right. And uh, so the following year. I'm running. I'm running trail cameras early, you know, July, August, trying to, you know, set up a net and kind of figure out what my inventory is. Like, what, what gear what am I working with? And when I do put trail cameras out, I like to put them on the outskirts. I don't like to dive in there and put them in their bedding area. I don't like to put them in, in really intrusive areas that when I do check them, I'm going to be leaving a ton of human scent. Because as we know, anytime we enter the woods, you know, we, we do leave a footprint, you know. A, a scent footprint is what I'm saying. Um, anytime you enter the woods, you are leaving some, you know, Intrusive behavior and, and, the, and the deer do, they know when you're in and out, you know. So, the less amount of time you can be in and out doing that, the better. So, for those reasons, we run trail cameras on the outskirts of the property like a net. We try and get deer as they're heading the destination field, which most of the time they're heading after dark, you know, early season, summer, they'll hit in the daylight, but we don't worry about running trail cameras on those big destination feed fields or, you know, uh or scrapes because most of the time they're heading out of the night and we're not necessarily going to be hunting those, you know those areas. And when I say that I don't mean your average, deer. I mean a pressured mature white tail. Pressured mature white tail, you're hunting a totally different animal. And that's what we were, ended up hunting with little John. That's the type of deer he was, you know, we're hunting with his guys hunting around us, you know, the deer knew he was being hunted hunted. So we had to you know we had to adapt for that. So July of uh so about two years ago in July, it was two thousand and fifteen I wanna say. Yeah. But so 2015 I ended up getting uh one, pic, two pictures of him, and he was coming out to Destination V Field. And when I tell you this buck was tremendous, I mean, even in July, I mean, I could tell right away he was a gross boon. I mean, he was over 170 inches. He had flyers. He had double drops. He had He had... Common bases, triple black brow signs. He had stuff everywhere, and this was going. He went from about I do believe you don't have to believe it, but he went from 120 inches, almost to over 170, maybe one almost 180. All right, in just one year, it was the most incredible jump I ever seen. Um, you know, the genetics were tremendous, and um, you know we we said you know let let's try and get that deer a shot. We'll see if we can, can't get eyes on him. And um, you know, as the season progressed, we really didn't see him a whole lot. Um, he wasn't daylighting a ton, um, areas that we were using supplemental feeding. He was taking so long to get there, um, that he wasn't showing up in the daylight. So, you know, that that's another lesson. Like you can run bait and you can run supplemental feeding cameras. And, and when you see that a mature whitetail, like a, a target deer, isn't showing on that camera until well after dark, it means he's, bedding, he's just, we, we seem to find that he's bedding too far away to make it there. cause, A mature whitetail, they're only going to move maybe 100 yards out of their bed before dark. You know, like, so these deer, you have to know where they're bedding, and you need to, like, you need to get aggressive on them. You know, you need to, like, that's, that's the way we play it. I like to hang and hunt. So, like, once I know where a deer is bedding, right, I like to go in as close as I can get where he can't see me, and I can comfortably hang a stand and, um... and and get on them that way, you know, and because you need to get on them within that, you know, within that 100-yard range right before dark. I've seen big deer get up, and they'll mill around only within 50 to 100 yards of their bed, and then wait till dark to continue that movement because they know, you know, they're safe in that little area. They'll stage right around there, and uh, and then they'll move on from there, you know, only making it to, to bait sites and feed fields and stuff after dark. When really they're not... They're not that far away, but they're just just—they're too far away, and they're taking their time where you're not going to get a crack at in the daylight. So for these dig with your deer, you know, where they bed and how much time they spend staging in that little area before dark is, is really important. You know, so uh, it goes to preseason scouting and, and finding out where these beds are. I mean, physically finding the bed where you see it. Like a big buck bed will, ha- will be on, you know, it'll have some elevation to it. And it'll have like a structure at their back, and it'll be open to their front. And and with the way they bed, the wind will blow in their. It will it will blow at their from their back, right? They can they can smell what they can't see behind them, and what they can't smell in front of them, they can see. If, they, if that makes sense. Um, so, like, if you ever jump like a big deer, right? Um, usually, they're going to have like, and when I say structure. It doesn't have to mean that physically like a structure. Like sometimes it'll be a dead, fallen log. Sometimes it'll be a thick massive area of, of uh, thorns and brush, or sometimes it'll be a barn, Some, you know, it'll be a structure. But at their front, a buck's bed is very open because they need visual. Visual is very important for a white you know, um, and it'll always have an avenue of escape. These big deer seem to bed alone, and, and the big deer, they have the best bedding there is, you know. They always have the good wind advantage, they have a great visual, and they dominate those big beds. You know, they, they keep that big bed their own, um, you know, separate from the little, the smaller buck, the younger buck. But um. But anyway, we knew that we knew that little John, he was betting. You know, um, in areas that were making him really difficult to hunt, and we knew a lot of the time when we would see him visually for scouting from roads and driving around that he was living on the outskirts of the property, which you know that makes you nervous because anytime he's hunting on, you know, he's living on the neighbors, and he's you know just skirting your property and, and coming in at night. That opens him up to getting hit by a car. It opens him up to getting shot by a poacher or another hunter. And, so we knew that, you know, we kind of had to, you know, really make certain calculated plays on when we could hunt him, you know. So so that, that first year when he was in the 170s, you know, I I never, ever got a visual on him, you know, um, except for when I was scouting and working from the roads out. You know, I had other really good deer, you know, five and six-year-old deer that I did get eyes on um, that year. And uh, I think that maybe they were just a little more dominant. You know, some bucks just don't like confrontation. Some bucks don't like to fight. They don't know that they have a huge set of headgear on their head. You know, they just know what their dominance level is, what their age level is, and they stay away from other, you know, sometimes more territorial bucks. So, unfortunately, I think that I had some, some good mature deer that were, you know, not as, uh you know, didn't have as big of a rack on them, keeping my deer, that, that deer, Little John, off the property. So, the full year goes by. We hunt him a ton. We're getting some daylight, you know, um, pictures of him here and there. He would come in with does, you know. He would work scrapes on the property, and, he, and during the rut, he was there a ton. But then outside the rut, you know, I really wouldn't see him too much. So that full year went by and it killed me. And then in, in uh, February, March, when I was driving around doing a little predator hunting, I see him, and uh, he didn't have his horns on him; he had shed. But I knew it was a deer, and I felt good because I was like, he'd survive, right? You know. So I was like, what's he going to be the next year? So 2000, and, was it was a 2017. Yeah, 2017 coming along. And uh, immediately started getting pictures of, and now he seemed to be frequenting my property a lot more. All right, he had lost a few of the flyers and the drops and the character, but he put it all in the mask. Like he had like monster main beams. Uh, you know, he had the big common bases again. He was a he was a main frame 10 with some Jung and we believed him to be in the 160s, you know, but it's just a hammer of a buff. And I got some of the most incredible wild game innovations in trail cam video you would ever get of an animal in full velvet, and, I mean, he went from, he was at point blank where you can count the hairs on his face, looking at the camera, and he had no problems with it, and, and uh, that's when we knew, you know, that we were going to put our focus on it again, but, um, you know, my goal this year was that early season, you know, early season, that summer pattern if you can catch a really big deer you know still in a summer pattern they're super killable um they are just so predictable they're batched, herded up they do the same thing every day it, and like i said this is if you can get them in the summer pattern luckily in new jersey you can hunt the first week or two of september when sometimes they're still in velvet. they're still doing their summer pattern so i like religiously had spent like all summer scouting binoculars was trying to figure out what he was doing in the daylight and unfortunately, I started to get some text messages from people that were sending me pictures with their phones seeing this gigantic deer like on the on the hook, in the daylight, in the area, on the grasses, through people's yards, on my property, and I'm like, that's a deer. And it made me really nervous because now people were knowing about this deer. And uh, you know, deer that caliber, that's not the attention I want. I don't want this deer getting a lot of attention to make me nervous, so we'd seen a deer and he was working this big field and he was working it all the way out from his bed Work on the edge of it and coming into this apple orchard like every day, you know. And um, the apple orchard is on a neighboring property to mine that I'd never had permission to hunt, but I always wanted to, you know. And we'd always seen deer there even since I was five years old. I'm thirty years old now, so that tells you how much this apple orchard's been established, right? So I went and knocked on the door, and uh, you know, I talked to the homeowner, and he said, "You know, I'm glad you talked to me because I was looking to have someone come here and you know take some deer off because they've been eating all my apples." And I'm like, "Man, thank God! I, thank God I went there and talked to him." And uh so he gave me permission, and and I found this apple orchard, and I hung a couple cameras, and um, I I brushed in a ground blind real good, you know, right at the back of this hedgerow where I could slip completely up the hedgerow and right near the apple orchard, come in the back door, and then I'd have a full view of the orchard, and all everything movement wise was in front of me, you know, I had a a barrier at my back, the buildings, you know, where I was hunting in their house. <laughs> like I guess it is a real suburban hunt. They were, you know, I had 140 acres, and this year didn't care about any of it. He loved to stay near these backyards and these little blocks of timber, like tiny slivers where he felt comfortable and he could see everything. You know, we're super smart deer. And um, so leading up to opening day, you know, this deer's super patterned. He's coming in the daylight into the orchard with a ton of other bucks, right? Coming in, he's coming in. And, um, you know, the way the property worked, right, the orchard sat in a position where um, it was like a tone uh, a shape, right? So where my blind was, I had a cone shape of wind that I could hunt, which was in my face, over my left shoulder and over my right shoulder, blowing at the house. I knew I didn't want this deer to get downwind to me. But I also knew this. This is a huge lesson with big deer that I've learned. Right? I've never killed a really, really big deer when, that, when I've had the complete wind advantage, like a really strong wind advantage. Like, where actually the deer coming come in front of me, I've never had it where, like, I had the wind completely in my face and, and the deer has come completely the opposite way, like these deer just don't feel comfortable coming in to food sites, base sites, plots, or any of that, those those conditions, right? Like, whereas if you're a controlled condition, like a fuel, you know, anything like that, these deer don't feel comfortable coming in there unless they have the wind advantage, you know, or at least they think they do. So in order to kill this deer, I knew that I was just going have to have the wind advantage, but just barely, right? So that when this deer swung in, the wind was barely blowing where he could smell it, but the majority of my wind was blowing back at structures and in, like towards the houses and the roads, right, at my back, because I knew, like, he's, it doesn't make sense for a mature deer to do what he does. Like, you know, they want to have the wind coming into that plot. Um, they want to have advantage. They want to feel safe. They want to know what's going on before they enter it, you know, and... Um, for those reasons I knew that I had to have this, this, this southwest wind, you know. Um any any more south and it wouldn't it would be just way too much to his advantage of his with the southwest, I just slightly had the advantage, and for that year, he's thinking, Okay, you know, I'm comfortable enough going in there, I feel good that southwest wind, you know, I know a good amount of what's going on. Whereas, if I had a north where completely, you know, like or you know, a wind that blew completely away from him, he wouldn't be showing up the way I needed him to. And that was the way it worked. We watched the cameras, and we actually took a calendar and we wrote the winds for each day and we correlated what pictures. You know what days he showed up in the daylight and from what direction versus what the wind was, and man, it was crazy how much it linked up. With when he had the advantage and when he would daylight, so that's just another big thing too. Like you want the advantage on these big white tails when you're hunting them, but just barely. All right, and never force the issue. Don't ever force the issue because you just think he's gonna probably show up and you and you're gonna get lucky. You want to you want to make sure that your first time in is the time you kill them. I like, you know, think about how many times you have, think about how many big bucks you've taken on your wall. I know that for me and a lot of other guys I talk to other good hunters, you know, it's the first time they ever sat at that tree stand. It's the first time they entered that property. It's when they hung and hunt. They went in with sticks and a lock-on. They got to that tree, a tree that had never been hung before. The deer were never educated. The deer were super calm, and they killed a big buck. And that's how I hunt a lot, you know. So in this case, the same thing, just for the ground line. You know, I went in there first time in um and i knew that the first time was gonna you know be the time to capitalize you know that was our time to strike you know i've I've switched over the years my numbers of hunts have gone down my success has gone up it's all about calculating those times that you do hunt to be the best times you hunt if you have like you know like 10 days right to hunt only 10 days look at your calendar. Look at the wind, know when it's time to get in there. If you if you have 10 days to hunt and only two of them are good in the wind, only hunt two of those days. I know it's hard to do, and with us working, it's tough. But, man, you can do so much more damage than good when you go in there and just kind of just gamble it. You need to you need to really calculate those times that when you go in there, it's the time to strike. It's the time you're going to be successful, and you're going to kill, and you're going to get your shot. Because, like, it really is, it's about beating these deer. You know, letting an arrow go and having it hit its target that's great, you know, that's a win, but the big win is getting these deer within bow range in the daylight. Like, that, that, that's beating a deer. When you can figure that deer out, what he is doing, and you beat him as a hunter with all the advantages they as deer have, man, that, like, that's a huge win. So, you know, so this the season opens with this, big, with this big deer, right, Little John. And, of course, another less <laughs> when deer lose their velvet, they get really weird, all right, for about 48 to 72 hours. in that window in there, I've found that a deer, when it's losing itself, velvet, for whatever reason, they go and they isolate themselves, all right? They keep to themselves. They have some whatever ritual they do. They go off pattern, and they're somewhere. I don't know where they go, but I've found that a lot of times guys freak out because the first few days of the season, everyone's like, oh, someone's going to shoot my deer. And, and we've all, I've been guilty of it myself. I'm like, oh, why is Little John not showing up on if Something happened. Did I booger him? Did I blow him out? And then, boom. Like like a lot of other deer, he showed back up without his velvet on. I'm like, okay, he was going through his ritual, losing velvet. And that's another thing. There's a velvet ritual. I, I don't know a lot about it, but I do know it does happen based on all the trail camp pictures I've had. And the deer I've killed, when they've gone off pattern and come back in, they're always out of velvet again. So I freaked out the first couple of days because, you know, I figured, you know, a deer that caliber or somebody might have, you know, shot him over the season or done something, you know, and of course, you know, being paranoid, and, and so, um, you know, of course, he, he shows that up, and he's got velvet on, he's got the velvet off, so I'm like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna get in that apple, we're gonna make it count, you know. Anthony Berger came, he filmed me, we were running the camera, he was running the camera, so we're sitting there in the blonde and man, we had just barely, had, like I guess, had barely had that wind advantage. These sweet apples, man, these deer were coming in, they're eating a few apples, getting really full on them, staging up, and then going to a destination feed field that's just a cut field uh further away you know so which was nice because you didn't want these deer milling around and hanging around forever you know because the wind sometimes switches deer catch your movement you don't want deer in front of you if you can help it for a long period of time so it was beautiful these deer would come in they would eat a few apples gorge themselves and then go and leave which is what i wanted just you know constant filtering in and out so i had a bunch of five six-year-old deer come in on camera. To the deer you know that most people would have shot and I knew I had to be disciplined and uh, let them walk and when I knew I'd beat those deer's nose and eyes I was like we're good here you know we're solid those are mature deer they're tough to beat in the daylight they move through so I look over to my right like half hour before dark you know this is like I said we flipped in the blind and this is the first time in it and we look I look over to the right and I see this monster you know left side of the of a frame just raking a tree working a branch right and um I'm like, okay, you know, that that's our guy, and he, it was two does of them, and and I looked, and he had actually crossed, physically crossed a paved road to come across this tap orchard. So that's that was the first time I realized, he, okay, he's betting across the road for me, and these other deer that were in earlier were dominating that betting area. So even though know, he had a big rack, he wasn't dominant, you know. So anyway, he comes in, he's working, and just like I said with the wind, right? He works with the wind. He's working right along, as hard along the edge of this as as hedgerow as he can without being close to the house, he's using the wind. Like he's keeping everything down and his eyes up the whole time, working in this orchard, wanting to see what's going on. Right. And, and you can see on the video too, like he puts on the brakes and he just looks and you just really get the good look of what the layout is ahead of him. Make sure the wind's good. And then when he flickers that tail and straightens himself out, like a lot of big bucks do, that's when you know you're going to get your shot. Right. So I'm like, going crazy i'm like this is a two-year quest it's the first time i ever seen him on the hoof in, in person while i was hunting all right and i'm like here we go you know rock on so i was saying a little saying a little something to myself i think burger was too He was talking himself he's like like i guess he's just talking himself through it because he's all uh amped. and we knew how big and how serious this year was and he was twice as big in person real chocolate rack like huge main beams, just barreling all the way back in and um he just marching in there, and he comes in at 30 yards, and I'm like, I'm super calm, you know, and I, I just I said to myself, you know, I did deep breath, and I'm like, Oh, you know, you do, this is what you do, you know, and I was super relaxed, and I drew back, and I and I, and I raised the bow up, and Bert, you could hear Virg and I talking to each other on video, and I'm like, oh, you want him? He goes, yeah, if you can shoot him right there, and I'm like, all right, so I touched off on my on my release. And I heard the largest whack I've ever heard in my life. And I realized that my cam had rolled over and struck the carbon rod in the top of the blind that I was sitting in. And it hit so hard. It smelled like fire and brimstone in there, you know, like when the shotgun glass goes off. And the, I watched as my arrow and the lighted knot went right over his back. Left and right, I was perfect. Had I not rolled over, I would have crushed him. It was only a 31-yard shot, which is a two-shot. We shoot that all the time. And it just went right over his back. And, and as he, like, kind of barrel rolls out of there, you see the apple paw of his mouth, the drool shooting out of his mouth. He didn't know what happened. And we were kind of so close to this house, you know, I, I think, that he, he kind of just didn't know what happened. You know, and there was a lot of other deer around. And, and he trotted back to, like, 61 yards. And, again, I shoot out to 100 yards religiously. I feel super comfortable. The deer was calm. He shook it off. He straightened himself out. He walked out. He got that 64 yards. I'd ranged it. I drew back again. I'm like, I feel real good about it. You know, Virgus filming again. I touched off on my release, and it was just straight up Murphy's Law that day. Like, there was just something. I wasn't meant to shoot that deer, I guess. It, the good Lord didn't want me to because I watched the arrow go, and it's going, and it's going right home, and it's going to just crush him right in his heart in 54 yards. And last second, I hit this small branch that I didn't foresee right in front of him, and the arrow deflected and went right under his heart. And with that arrow going out, you know, into the brush, so did, you know, Little John, and I never saw him again, right? So I never see this deer again. And, when, you know, when I'm, the camera pans back to me, I'm, like, I'm, I'm a little defeated, but, like, I can rest easy. And, like, I I, I beat that deer, you know, I beat him because I had him in the daylight. I had him within bow range. I beat his nose. I figured him out, you know. And, and so I was a little, you know, I was able to kind of rest a little easier knowing that. But I was so upset because... I was calm. I didn't have target panic. I didn't have buck fever. I didn't have any of these things that like usually are the culprit for a lot of people. You know, I was calm. I handled myself, and to have that, you know, equipment issue where like the blind, I had just had it too low. The problem was I put too many branches on top to really brush this blind in. I mean, I had never brushed a blind in so well. We were so hidden in there, but the problem was the weight of those branches lowered it just enough where my long my long axle to axle bow. I was shooting a 34 inch axle to the bow because I have a 31 inch draw it had just been high enough where it was just too high and it struck the blind. You know, you don't know, have a short axle axle guy that year. Last year I went with a longer one just for the first time ever. Probably won't do that again because I hung from ground lines a lot. Uh, back to a short one this year, but big lesson here, you know, practice like you play. I had practiced in a ground line in my yard over and over again, but I hadn't practiced in that ground line with a bunch of weighted stuff on the top. You know, when my cams were drawn back, my limbs were drawn back, I had the clearance, but as you know, cams roll over, the, the, the limbs, you know, detraction. and they, they are longer than they look. So I had, you know, just raised up enough where, like, my cam hit the top, and, and it ruined the shot for me. And um, I was pretty defeated, you know, that my deer ran off, I continued to hunt that deer for, like, three weeks, right, unknowingly. And then I ran into a friend, another really big buck hunter from the state, and he said, hey, you know, uh, a good friend of mine had shot a deer that had really similar characteristics, you know, up in your area. And sure enough, you know, he had shot that deer 24 hours later across the street where I had seen him come from out of his bed across the road to come into me. He would killed him over there. And uh, just, you know, he didn't really talk about it too much, so I didn't know. So I had been hunting the nose for like three weeks. So that was pretty much more insult to injury. But, you know, I remained I remain humble, you know, and uh, I, I said you know, everything happens for a reason. And then from there on in the season, I, ha- I continued to have the be- one of the best, if not the best season of my life in all aspects of the game. I hunted between bears and deer and hogs and everything. And, uh, you know, because I, I didn't freak out and I, I didn't lose my, my temper over what had happened, I think that, you know, um, karma came back around to help me out. But like I said, I don't want anyone else to suffer like I did, you know make sure you put those blinds up a little bit. We'd put them up on concrete blocks, you know, like we'd put the cinder block on its side where the hole is, and we'd put the corners in the hole, and that was just enough. We were, we were not eye-level anymore, and we were able to clear the roof of the blind with our bow. So that's a recommendation. Like I said, I, I'm not afraid to show a myth, because I, I want if at least one other person, it, it doesn't happen to them on the biggest buck of their life, then it was worth it, you know. I'm not afraid to show a myth. It happened. We can all relate to it. You know, misses happen. happened. They don't just say they don't miss. They just aren't. They're not getting enough opportunities, I would imagine, or they're lying. <laughs>
2: so, yeah, props for you for showing that. Like we said, like I was talking earlier, man. A lot of people, you know, don't show that stuff, and I think it's cool that people do because that's something I can relate to. You know, because there is, yeah, like I said, most people that hunt long enough, they miss up. They mess up on a giant deer. You know, I yep. personally messed up on a deer that I'll, I, will a quality a deer I'd never probably shoot again in my life. You know, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I learn a lot, you know, and, uh, that's where you go. Just like you, you know, you're not afraid to tell people. And I tell people the story, you know, and, and I I can remember every detail just like you can. And I think, I think sometimes the deer that we mess up on stick with us more than the deer that we are successful on because our whole game, like you said, is to beat the deer, you know what I mean? So the deer that got away, you're like, man, that's the one that, you know, you're more tied up on than the ones that are on your wall.
3: Yes, I uh, completely agree. You know, think about it. I mean, like, w- think about what a big deer does to us. any big animal that we hunt, for that matter. Like, the rush, the adrenaline. I mean, it makes us grown men shake in our boots, right? That feeling—that's something we chase, you know. And it's like any big fish tail, any big one that got away. You know, those are the ones you talk about because, that you know, that the animal just sits so much higher up on a pedestal to you because you weren't able to to make it yours. You know, you weren't able to take it down and. You know, I think we chase that, you know, and we need those we need those misses and um, bad times to, to appreciate the good ones and just to keep us coming back for more. Because that's why, Tony, you know, we're not going to go in the field and be 100, 100% successful of punching a tag every time. But that's what makes it, you know, that's what makes it a challenge and the mystique of going after these animals, you know, it's trying to figure them out and beat them, which, you know, in, in their element.
1: I wish I could take that adrenaline rush and just put it into a pill. What'd you say? I said, I wish I could take that adrenaline rush that you get, you know, when you got a 170 coming in and just turn it right into a pill.
3: Yeah. Yeah. If you could put that in a bottle, uh, you'd be a rich man. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I would say,
1: just like you said, that's what we're all chasing. And that's what we put so much work into, trying to get the right setup, trying to figure out what the deer are doing, and then, you know, trying to improve the land so you keep deer, you get healthier deer, and then, you know, hopefully... That translates into bigger deer.
2: so
3: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. It's a healthy it's a healthy uh, addiction, that's for sure. You know, it's a way better addiction than some of the other stuff out there with a way better feeling. So
2: so I picked up a couple things that I wanted to ask you about why you're telling your story. And uh, one of them was, sure. so he was a couple years older when you started getting a ton of daylight pictures, correct?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So I was wondering, I hear a lot of people talk about when the deer gets to an old age their territory shrinks and they get more daylight active. So I was wondering if that was the same case in Little John's opinion in his you know, his his story as it is in, you know hundreds of the other stories, you know, when a buck turns five and a half or six and a half, it's like a blight switch and they just become more daylight activity.
3: Yeah, you know, it does happen a ton and, and every every deer, mature deer, older deer they're all very different, you know, but their person, you know, their personalities are all different. You know, some deer are daylight walkers, some deer are roamers, some deer are just homebodies and they just live in a small area. You know, every deer is a little different. Little John's core area, super small. Right. And as he got older, I think that he was able to feel more comfortable in these good bedding areas and establish his area where he wanted to, you know, find receptive does without worrying about getting beat up. Um, because I know there were deer fighting him because he was breaking off times. You know, like, he broke off drops one year, like, and he was a huge deer. So I don't even know what was hanging on with him. And so, um, yeah, he, um, he had a super small core area. He um, he daylighted in that core area like many big bucks will do. As long as you get close to their bed, they're going to daylight. That's what i found. You know, as long as you're really, if you're not close enough to their bed, you're not going to see them in the daylight. And when you start seeing them in the daylight, no, yeah, they're bedding really close. You know, unless it's some kind of like weird, you know, a window of opportunity, like during the rut, or you know, when they're on their feet way into the morning because the moon's still high in the sky, things like that. You know, but generically, you know, a deer if you're seeing him in the daylight, you're close to his bed. You know, um, that's that's what I found. If you're seeing him, if you're seeing them like that, but yeah, the, these older deer, um, they they can get more daylight um, as they get older. You know, um, that, that's what I found. Sometimes it takes those a few, few more years before you actually can
1: get a shot you know it's nice to hear the stories of you know something to back up that you kind of believe in as well one thing I want to hit on right now is um, it sounded like you hunted little John on a quartering wind uh, is that is that correct like he kind of you felt like he kind of had the wind and it felt comfortable enough to go in there but it was kind of mm-hmm. also in your favor as well
3: yeah, that the win advantage. Yeah, I just barely had the win advantage, to where you know I could kill him, but he thought he had to, you know he had tried ninety percent of what he could win, and that ten percent that I own that real estate I own he uh, he couldn't get, and that's why I was, he was doable.
1: Yeah, see, and I mean you, you're hunting him early in the year to where yep. I wouldn't gamble on a coring win early in the year. I, I usually try to get aggressive. You know, I'm not I'm just we'll say November 1st, you know, the the rut's really starting to get going here in the Midwest. And that's mm-hmm. when I try to go in and I'll gamble on a wind, but it's still quartering. Like, you know, I, I think that, you know, they're betting here and they're going to come this way to, you know, either check those or, you know, go to a field or something. That's when I like to play the quartering wind and, you know, make that deer feel like he's got the yeah. edge over me when really it's kind of, you know, a 60, 40, 50, 50 split. Hmm.
3: So, yeah, I um, I don't. Uh, if I had to choose one time of the year to hunt, right, and this is if I have a good property that I know the property well, I know the deer, and I can scout. If I had like two weeks to hunt of the year, right, and no other time to choose, it would be the first two weeks of the season, early season, September when they're patternable. Guys love the rut, right? I like the rut too, but only when it's a property I don't know a ton a lot of, a ton about. Um, I don't really know what they're gonna do. I'm gonna gamble. I'm gonna do some calling. You know, light rattling. You know, I, I like the rut for those properties. You know, like of the unknown, because it's so unpredictable. The rut is so unpredictable. You never know what these you're gonna do. Um, they go off pattern. They're really hard to hunt if you've been patterning them. But if you're hunting where you know that you got good deer, but you don't know a ton about where they're at, you can have a blast running and gunning. You know, hanging and hunting testing out new areas, get aggressive, get in the bedding area, you know, hunting these mornings in these, like, real thick areas, you know. That's what it's good for, but like I said, I've always had success early season. Year after year after year, I'm getting on big deer in the daylight, on food sources, early season, summer pattern. Like I said, that's just just my experience.
2: Yeah, here in in Illinois, it's October 1st, so it seems like they... Oh, yeah. It's that light (laughs) switch, man, like you're talking about, where they just...
3: Acorns. You know, I, I,
2: I, I talked about a buck on here called Homeboy, and I had that deer down to a science man i had him mm-hmm. where i knew exactly where he was bedding he was going to the field i seen him you know in person on trail camera went in there early to kill him vanish and i ended up killing him in the middle of the rut just cruising for does just yeah, pure trail him yeah. of him bedding yeah i had trail cam of him bedding like i hung a trail cam where he was entering oh, wow. the field and he ended up bedding right there and i got pictures of him like licking his back scratching with his (laughs) antlers and it's just that's awesome it's in some real tall grass right on the fence line Pretty cool it is super cool
3: yeah this early season you know like i find that like it has to be early september though like anytime after like mid to late september they start switching to a fall pattern they go to acorns they become a lot more unpredictable and that in october low period period you hear about I, i don't know that it's so much a low i think it's just now they're only traveling short, short, short distances from their bed in the daylight because they have acorns and those other things closer to their bed and more food, and they don't have to travel to these feed fields as far. You know, like the lull can be super good time to capitalize if you're right on top of their bed, but if you're not, then it's tough. So,
2: yeah, last year I found a bed during shed season, went in first hunt, October fifteenth, had already hung a stand, and I shot a buck at six o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, seen him stand up out of his bed eighty yards away. Oh yeah, and come then, right yeah, that's to me. What I'm
3: talking about. <laughs> you know, you, it's
2: just like we're and I, it was hilarious because I was hanging the stand. I'm like, deer gonna jump, jump this this down tree right here. And I'm gonna shoot him at five yards, and that's exactly what happened. That doesn't happen that's to awesome, me man. normally, but but that's what happened. But I want to get back to 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 Little John. So you said it was a suburban area. So you had that quartering wind. Do you think he was accustomed to a little human scent? Since he was so suburban and he was around houses like that, so if he kept caught a little bit.
3: Man, the the homeowner had been like hitting golf, like pitching, putting golf balls around the backyard right there, like (laughs) all the time. And that just, and I'm not kidding. Like, I literally was like, I had to tell, like, his grandfather that had retired lived at the house. And I had to literally, like, text the guy and be like, hey, like, uh, can you tell your father in law to like, can kind I of just hang out in the house and not pitch golf balls around? Like, be <laughs> ding, ding. I'm not kidding. I swear to God. because right, I was, I was like this. You know, these deer, they they knew the difference between predatory scent and and you know normal human scent and normal activity. You know, that's another thing. It's just so weird. You know, sometimes we. You know, we worry about, um, you know, wh- about that and what's going to affect the deer. But, you know, after this deer is conditioned to know that that's what happens at that house and that's a normal noise and that he's not getting shot at and messed with, then that's okay. You know, I think it's the minute we start haunting these deer, the predatory sense, letting arrows go, you know, messing with them in that respect, I think that's when it triggers, you know, when the switches flip and they know what's going on and they react totally different to it.
2: Yeah. So when wh- how big was that uh, that apple orchard? How many acres?
3: Oh, tiny. Maybe like I don't know. Like the apple orchard, the whole thing was probably like an acre and a half, two acres. Of okay. Like yeah, I was gonna I was gonna acre. ask how yeah. you
2: how you decided to place your ground blind there, but so you mm-hmm. probably just went off the sides up against that hedge thicket as your best cover, and then yep. went off that. Okay.
3: Yeah, I actually took trimmers right, and I and I made a tunnel through the entire from the base of it where I par all the way up to the back of the ground line and I slipped into the back of the ground line. Like, I could get in there when there were deer in the orchard.
2: Yeah, they never know. Um, and,
3: you know, yeah, exactly. And that was huge, you know, like, access is everything. You know, these deer were never cutting my wind track because I was in the hedgerow the whole time and they weren't coming from that area. And they could never see me. And, um, you know, like I said, I like to go in with the wind in my face. And then I, and I'm in, you know, not, you know. So much of the battle is is access and getting in undetected and without blowing deer
2: out. Yeah, I think that's like up here, like me running trail cameras. I run mobile cams in my most delicate spots, and we have people come on here that are like, "Oh, I check my trail cameras like every week or every two weeks," and I just like cringe. Oh, yeah, I like cringe <laughs> when I hear that because I'm yeah. like, "Oh God, just you know that <laughs> that don't work for me. If it works for you, you keep doing you, but for me." I don't want to go in there after July. If I if I'm yeah. in there past July, there's something wrong, you know.
3: Yeah, but. I agree. You know, if you can run wireless, that is just absolutely key. Otherwise, you better be running your cameras on the outskirts of the property where you're not going to mess with them and intrude when you ha- when you do have to check them. I know some guys. Uh, r- one of the best white tail hunters I know. We we've talked hunting a bunch. Uh, Todd Creed, all right. He he owns a company called Wicked Tree Gear. His White knuckle Productions awesome big buck hunter he hunts buck beds right he hunts a similar style and well you know one one thing he said to me that you know i've also done which is a super smart tactic a little off the wall but a really good tactic if you have a property right and you find that where you're hunting the big the big deer are kind of frequently on the opposite side of the track you know close to the neighbors right and you want them to be on your like closer to one side what he's done and what i've done as well is during the day the next day i'll go and i'll walk like, you know, back and forth on the other side of the property, leaving a bunch of human scent. And then I'll immediately hunt the other side of the property where I had not been. And you'll see that they react to that human scent and intrusion, and they start making their way over on the, on the side you need them to be.
2: Yeah, that's some next-level techniques, <laughs> right. Sarah. I'm just sitting yeah. here like, Am I, my yeah, my property's too you, small it to works. do that, man. I just I feel yeah. like... I feel like the bucks I got, I got to be like a ninja every time I go into the woods. Mm-hmm. And, like, I text I text my cousin Dallas at night. I was going in, and I was like, I'm going I'm going to kill a buck tonight. You know, and, I, like, when I'm walking to the stand, I'm, like, sweating already. And it's not very far. It's just because I'm so nervous because I know at any time I could bump a giant because that's just where the stand's located, you know. But on the right yeah. conditions, I think you could get in there and get it done, you
3: know. High risk high reward man that's for sure that's what it sounds like you know and that's the way it's the way you gotta play
1: it i want to get into how tough it was to wait for the perfect conditions to go in there to the ground blind and hunt little john because you know around here everybody's geared up ready for deer season at august 1st and you still got two months to wait and then finally season opens up and you know everybody's crashing in when you know maybe you should you know, hunt a little smarter, but stay on the edge. But you know, people are like, "Oh man, I've killed deer here last, you know, late October, early November. You know, rut's kicking off." But I want you to to explain how you know if it was tough to wait. You know, you're kind of in the early season oh, there. Man, yeah,
3: you
2: said that you had. You know, people were getting trail cam pictures of them. You knew people were hunting oh, them.
3: Oh no, I'm not. I don't mean trail cam pictures. I'm talking these guys were driving down the road and taking pictures with their cell phone. You imagine mm. you getting your target buck you've hunted for years that you believe, you know, that's your deer, you know, like no no, no one owns a deer, but when you put more time in and you feel like you earn, you know, the opportunity you're going to have, man, when these guys that you know have ties to some people that are probably going to be getting dropped off and doing some bad stuff, sending you pictures of this deer walking away within bow range from the road, it's Friday. And it kills me having to wait. I mean, this is August, you know, uh, July, August, these guys are texting me saying, oh, there's a giant in and, you know, New Jersey is a small, a small state, a lot of hunters. People, like, when a big deer like that gets around, like, I was getting pictures of my deer sent to me, of not my deer, but little John <laughs> sent to me, and they were like, oh, it's in this town, it's in this town. I'm like, oh, my gosh, the word is getting around about this deer, you know, and uh, <laughs> it's not good. And then, um, you know, every day, I, I mean, I was having dreams about this. You know, I was waking up that I shot him, we got by a car, and it, it really consumed my life, you know. <laughs> I felt unhealthy at times.
2: yeah it's crazy uh, yeah people yeah i I tell my wife my my target buck from last year my buddy found the sheds and i had to go like right then and see them and she's like well you can go tomorrow i'm like no i gotta go right now no you don't
3: yeah yeah Yeah, yeah. like you said it just
2: consumes you and then like you said when you're after the a one deer and if it's a world-class deer that makes it even yeah just makes you insane when yeah like this year i'm on the farm hunting and i get a trail cam pick the same day I'm hunting, he's 15 yards from a stand on the complete opposite wind that I can hunt. But I'm hunting within I'm I'm within 300 yards of him, and I have I had no idea. Oh might, my god! If it would have yeah. been a different wind, I it would have been in that. That's my go-to stand. And it was it was November 27th. He was right out in the open, right on the edge of a cut bean field, middle of the daylight, chasing a yearling doe right past my stand.
3: Well, you, you see what you said there, right? If it had been a different wind, you'd have been in there, all yeah, right? Yeah. So the win he had the advantage
2: yeah
3: you know and and that's why he was in there and that's something that we have to think about and it took me forever to really think like to really kind of take that into account i'm like yeah we'll hunt it on this win this win this win i'm like he's not going to come in here with that extreme advantage I'm like, we need to hunt this on a marginal win i hear that some of the best hunters i know we talk where like marginal wins are, are sometimes everything for a big year that's pressure
2: yeah yeah i can believe that because uh-huh. like i said i I got trocan pictures of him early, early, and then at night a ton, and then I never got a picture of him in daylight until November 27th when I it was on a mm-hmm. south wind, and it's like we're you know here during the winter, north northwest is common, mm-hmm. and if I have a northwest, yeah. I am undetectable there. I I've shot yeah shot two bucks out of that stand um within the last three years, and I'm literally they if if they walk past me. Then you know it, it, they're gonna. I'm gonna be able to shoot them before they're ever gonna be able to win me. You know. Yeah, what
3: I mean? the deal the is field.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just right on. You know, 30 yards in from a field, climb right up in the stand. I cut across the field. I got perfect where the field kind of rounds over. I hit the low side, come up. You know, and I'll, I'll get in the stand and I'll have those bedded in CRP 60, 70 yards away and have no idea. That's awesome.
3: There. That access right there, man. Yeah, you have the so- access down, dude. At the time I set up year after year, then.
2: Yeah, it is. It's, it's fabulous. Blessed to be able to hunt that place. Hit Him with another question. Yeah. I know you got, I know you're burning over there.
1: <laughs> So are you? Are you more of a pencil and paper guy when it comes to um, you getting him on truck and video or picks? Um, you know, are you writing down the wind that he's coming in on? And you know, some people go off the moon phase and, and stuff like that. But are you? Are you writing that yeah. down every time you get him on camera?
3: Oh yeah. Um. So I will. I have, I have apps that tell me what the wind is going to blow every day. Scout Weather, right? That's my app I use. Um, I use that, and I use Onyx Hunt Maps, right? Because I always like Onyx Hunt Maps. I always use that to know the geography. I know exactly where I stand, you know, what the property lines are. I can read land features and and know where these transition areas are, where a big buck's going to bet on the edge. They always bet on the edge of transition areas. That's what I always focus on on new properties, just so while we're at it. If, if you look at a map and you see a huge transition of, of geography, that is those, those, those edges, right, that's where I find my big deer. You know, those are where I focus my time, and I, and, I, and, I'm a, and I actually stop wasting a ton of time on a new property by reading the map and knowing where to dive in first. But anyway, yeah, I, I will uh, literally get a notepad out. And I will put what the wind is, and what day he showed, and what time, and I'll go down that way. I mean, I'm sure there's probably apps and programs that do it, but I do it by hand, and um, I've learned a ton doing that. What what the deer is likely to show on, so that when I do get that wind, you know, and I, and I see that day, okay, this is the wind. Boom! I'm like, we got a strike. We got to get in there. We got high pressure. We have the right wind. We got the moon underfoot or overhead huge keys as well that when anytime the moon's underfoot or overhead you get good deer movement um so yeah so those things and all those stars align that that you know when we strike
2: yeah that's something i don't do that i think i need to start and i think it would be i think it'd be really cool if you did it even like while you're in stand you know if if Mm -hmm. you've seen like a a three-year-old that you end up passing okay it was three o'clock on november 4th he came through here and then keep that record and then look back, you know, well, for five years in a row on November 4th, I've seen, you know, two or three bucks on on this stand. You know, then you'd have that yeah. record over time. That's something I think I, I would like to do. And I've actually seen books that I, at stores that have that. They have, like, pressure and everything written down. I think it's called mm-hmm. a hunt journal. It would be really yep. cool to, to get one of those and really start driving in and, yeah. and figuring it yeah, out. And, yeah. yeah, for sure. And,
3: you know, like, like I said, that, that app, uh, Scallop weather is what I've been using to, to look at that because it'll show me pressure. It'll show me good times to hunt. It, it, it breaks it down for a guy who doesn't want to or, or know how to read. Um, you know those, those things. It tells you when the when the hunting's the best and when it's not. You know, and it'll show you what the moon position is and it'll show you all these different things. Um, you know, that's something I recommend. I mean, I'm sure there's other apps to have it, but that's what I use. And uh, yeah, those are also hu- those are all huge factors, like you said
1: so you said that little john was close to the trail cams you know on video and and i've seen the video and i mean he is like you said i mean he's he's on the video yeah uh, um <laughs> do you wear gloves or anything when you say your trail cams with it being so early yeah. in the year or do you just use you, yeah. you spray down
3: I, lo- I know i like to uh i like to wear rubber boots and latex gloves any chance i can all right um yeah, that, that's what I like to do. Um, anytime you ever see me on here not doing it, it's probably not when I legitimately was hanging it. You know, we were kind of just, you know, dubbing into footage or something. But like when I'm like nitty-gritty, I'm down there, I got knee-high rubber boots on, I got rubber gloves on, and I'm always spraying down. And those are huge keys, you know. Um, some of the best big buck killers I know that, that have killed deer over food sources and and, and, and supplemental feeding. Um they swear by using rubber boots and rubber gloves to keep these deer daylighting because they've found that when they don't, these deer will go nocturnal. They'll daylight the first time or two, and then you go nocturnal. But when they keep using rubber gloves, rubber boots, and spraying down every time when they're baiting and checking trail cameras, they, they keep these deer daylighting. And They said that's the key is thing control.
2: Yeah, I can see that huge. That's something I don't do either. But I haven't had a lot of deer. I have deer notice my camera. If I started hanging them high and pointing them down, yeah. something i did another last huge, year
3: huge, yep yep, yep but a lot yeah, of it's sure. cuz
2: i'm i'm trying to get pictures in crp so that helps me a lot too to get up above yeah. the grass but mm-hmm. um we uh we really appreciate you coming on we're cutting towards the end here but i just wanted to get one question if there is one thing that you could say that you think that has made you more successful hunting whitetails if you could just give us one topic that you think could wrap it up what would it be
3: I think it'd be uh, uh, hunting the wind, you know, um, I I live and die by the wind. Uh, I never force the issue um, of hunting a bad wind. You you can educate them and do so much more harm than good. Um, And that goes for a lot of animals. I always live and die by the wind. Um, You know, I spray down, you know, but I always keep a good wind, you know. Um, And then if the wind does switch, at least if I'm spraying down, it's not going to hit them as hard of a scent. You know what I'm saying? Like, you ever smell a skunk in the outdoors, and you can tell how close they are but how strong it is? When it's super strong, you're like, oh, man, I'm getting out of here. But when it's real light, you're like, you're going to tolerate it. That's what I think scent spray does for me. Look, in those few times when the wind switches, or they do cut my track or my scent, they're tolerant of it. They're always going to smell you, but it's just a matter of, you know, are they going to deal with it? And um, that, coupled with hunting a good wind, that's been my success. I always, I, I live and die
1: by that wind. Yeah, I can't remember if who I was watching. But I was watching some, you know, big time, big name hunter on TV, and I honestly, I honestly can't remember. But I remember him saying, "If he's hunting and the wind does switch, he is immediately getting down. Just it, it doesn't yep. matter if it's seven thirty in the morning or if it's forty five minutes before." dusk yeah he's getting down
2: the season i shot homeboy um the same thing happened to me i was in there i'd seen eight bucks that morning just phenomenal i had bucks chasing does yeah just a crazy morning rut the the crp was all frosted and you could hear the bucks coming through before you could see them they're just you know pushing the pushing the crp apart and the wind mm-hmm. switched, and I sat in there for thirty. I was like, "I'm just, I'm gonna push it." I sat in there for thirty minutes, and I had two deer blow at me, like at the same time. Yeah, and they were mm-hmm. way away. They sound like they were yeah. 150, <laughs> 200 yards away, and they were blowing. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh yeah. man, I just ruined it." Because I, I had planned on maybe coming back there in the evening and hunting if the wind had moved. But now I was like, "Well, I just this place is done for a, you know, a week to me. I mean, it's just." If, if a deer mm-hmm. there's nothing worse than a deer blowing that's just like
1: oh i completely oh, agree God, it's Just like <laughs> you it's, need to die now yeah, this
2: is <laughs> terrible but, you
3: like die a little bit of you dies inside yeah you're like well <laughs> like, i'm not gonna oh. see nothing <laughs> i'm not
2: gonna see nothing but that that yeah. happened to me this year on public i had uh i had a bunch of does come out in a sunflower field and it started raining really hard and they started blowing i don't know if it was the noise coming off the sunflower the rain on the sunflowers and there's a really nice mm-hmm. buck in the field he took off, 25 minutes later, he was right back out there on public in daylight. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Wow. I don't know. It, it was a probably a 140, in the 140s class buck, a nice. Yeah. But I don't know, you know. Like you said, deer have different personalities, so Yeah. They're, they're all different, and that's why we like chasing them. I think if they were all the same and easy to kill, it wouldn't be no fun.
3: I agree. I agree.
1: Well, man, we appreciate you coming on. It's really awesome. Oh, I, had to, yeah. to yeah, I had a blast. Yeah, Thanks for
3: having me, guys. I appreciate it.
1: It's cool to watch your video and then get the actual story from you. You know, like it just takes it to a whole nother level.
2: Yeah is that is that video on YouTube or anything for people to see? Yeah, it is.
3: It is. Yeah, yeah. If you ever if you need a link, it by all means go ahead. It, it's on there.
2: What what's the, what is your YouTube then?
3: It's uh, it should be under uh, Craig Meyer Hunt. If you just stretch Craig Meyer hunting. You know, come up in there under you know Craig and Julia. My wife Julia hunts with me too. Oh, yeah, so. yeah.
2: I've seen some of the bucks she's taking. She she could probably come on the uh, podcast. No, right? she's <laughs> taking
3: yeah, some studs. she's a she's a little killer. <laughs> Unfortunately, we just we have our three month old son, and she's you know she's such a great mom, and she steps up big, and she hasn't been able to hunt as much, but we're really trying to get her out there soon again, you know. So, but uh, yeah, she definitely loves to hunt just as hard, and, and yeah, you know, she's all about it.
2: Yep. Congrats on the kid, man. I I just had one too, and homie's got one on the way. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's fun times, man. Fun times. My wife, she shot a nice buck, and now she's done hunting. Oh, okay. (laughs) One and done, I I think. (laughs) I think she shot one uh, just, you know, she wanted to go to shoot one bigger than her brother, but I think she pleased me by shooting a buck. And then she's like, yeah, she's been a couple times, but she's like, I only shoot big bucks. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) That's a a nice. (laughs) You know, six-year-old, 130 class buck. No, yeah, ears, right I only shoot deer, yeah. big bucks. Wide. Yeah, I only shoot big bucks. I'm like, God, oh, man. what are you going to yeah, do? Yeah,
3: right? You're like, come on. She yeah. won't set
2: in temperatures <laughs> colder than 30, but right. she only shoots big deer.
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't the stuff
2: for me. <laughs> we appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, like I said, you got my number, so don't be afraid to... To keep in touch and let me know how your how your rut's going. Yeah,
3: we'll uh, we'll chat it up and I'll keep you posted as my season progresses. I'm already I've already got trail cameras out there on supplemental feeding and I've got really good deer that are going to be shooters already showing up in the daylight and hopefully keep that way.
2: Can't beat that. Yeah, I love I love getting that text. Even you know if it's from someone I talked to one time, they're like, "Man, put a big one down." I'm just jacked for it. You know, it's just it's just cool to have it's cool to have people that are. As passionate as us about hunting deer, you know, and just you know, we're not seeing anything. we Texas texting this team like, is there anything <laughs> moving in Texas, man? Cause yeah, there ain't nothing. Hey,
3: we're all on the same team, man. You know, it's so. a,
1: you're right. 900 miles away. Let me know how you're yeah. going. Heck yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah. Well, I'll be up here. Hey, listen, I'll be up y'all's way this fall. I, I least around the Missouri Highway area, so I'll be up there. I'll let you know when I'm around.
2: Nice. Yep, I, I'm going to Missouri for rifle season to the family farm, so hopefully Dude. hopefully, put a nice one down there. But. All right, man, we appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll keep in touch. Thank you, guys. I
3: enjoyed it.